everyone. Welcome to episode three of Dobbylicious Podcast, titled You're Almost a Wizard, Harry. Just before we get into it, I'd like to say thank you to everybody who's listened so far. It's been really interesting to see where people are from. So we've had listeners from, hang on, let me just check the statistics, from New York, America, California, America, Germany, the Netherlands, Sweden, got Norway, Abu Dhabi, London, of course. Admittedly, most of these people are are my friends. However, it seems like there is a little following going on down in South End-on-Sea. So I just wanted to give a shout out to the people in South End-on-Sea who are clearly keeping it Dobbylicious. So without further ado, chapter three begins with us being told that Harry is serving his longest ever punishment for the incident with the snake at the zoo. And It's a shame that Harry doesn't have any friends because this would be a brilliant story to tell your friends when you get to school. Harry would be like, hey guys, sorry I couldn't make it to that thing. It's just that I was implicated in the escape of a Brazilian boa constrictor. And in the age of TikTok, you know, he could have filmed it, would have gone viral, he would have had loads of muggle friends, books would have totally been different. So we're told by the time Harry finishes his punishment, it's actually the start of the school holidays. And with regard to the Dursleys' punishment of Harry in this situation, I did think that sometimes the worst thing you can do to someone is to actually be neutral towards them rather than have a very strong negative reaction or a strong positive reaction. I think there are actually studies showing that if you're in a job interview and the interviewer is very neutral towards you, people get more stressed out by that than if the interviewer is actually responding in a negative way. So I was just thinking that, okay... Harry's definitely neglected and mistreated in the Dursley household, but I wonder if he also feels like he's not important because the fact that the Dursleys keep having such strong reactions just indicates to the reader, possibly also to Harry, that although they don't like him, he's important for some reason. And we're told that Harry and Dudley are both going to new schools. Dudley's going to a posh school where he has to wear a funny uniform and has a stick, Harry, on the other hand, is going to the local comprehensive called Stonewall High. Dudley takes the opportunity to taunt Harry. I think that Harry comes out with a, with a very cheesy joke. So the book says that Dudley told Harry, they stuff people's heads down the toilet the first day at Stonewall, want to come upstairs and practice, and Harry says, no thanks, the poor toilet's never had anything as horrible as your head down it, it might be sick. And admittedly, he runs off before Dudley can, can react or respond, but... Apart from being a terribly cheesy joke, I thought that actually that was an indication of courage and maybe that's actually the first sign that we get that Harry is a brave individual because if you've been living in a house with a family who abuses you and your cousin bullies you consistently and you don't really have anything to look forward to, then actually standing your ground in a sense by coming up with a witty response to a bully is actually a sign of bravery. The life-changing moment arrives when the whole family is at breakfast and Harry's told to go and get the post. Harry then finds a letter addressed to him, and as this is basically the turning point for Harry and the start of the whole Hogwarts adventure, it made me think that if memory charms were real, I would modify my memory so that I didn't know anything about Harry Potter after this point. Sadly, being a muggle, I can only make a podcast. When Harry sees the letter, it says, Harry picked it up and stared at it, his heart twanging like a giant elastic band. No one ever in his whole life had written to him. And I think we know from Harry's sort of thrill in this moment that something exciting is going on. And then the letter has an unusual physical description. It's made of this uh, 
It says it's made of this thick, heavy yellow parchment. There's green writing on it, and it's specifically addressed to Harry Potter in the cupboard under the stairs. And there's this wax seal on it, which kind of gives me a sense of adventure. But this very specific address actually made me wonder how they, you know, whoever they are, actually knew that Harry was in the cupboard under the stairs. So in the Joe Rowling archives online, there's an article posted about the Book of Admittance and the Quill of Acceptance. Apparently, the four founders of Hogwarts placed a book described as being bound in peeling black dragonhide and a small silver ink pot, which had a long faded quill in it, in a room in a tower in Hogwarts. And this never comes up in the book series, but the quill of acceptance magically knows when a new person with magical ability is born. And then the quill tries to write the person's name in the book, but the book won't let the quill write in it unless that person has actually demonstrated some sort of magical ability. So for example, when Neville Longbottom was born, the book wouldn't let the quill write Neville's name in it until he demonstrated magical ability by surviving a fall. I think he was pushed out of a bedroom window or something, or off a balcony by his grandfather, because his grandfather wanted him wanted to see if he was a wizard, and it worked, and Neville's name got into the Book of Admittance. And apparently this is a defence mechanism to stop squibs from going to Hogwarts. I kind of feel sorry for squibs. I feel like there's an interesting social commentary to be made about the position of squibs in the magical world, but perhaps a discussion topic for another day. So it could be that the quill of acceptance also writes the Hogwarts letters and magically knows who to write to and where they are. So Harry walks back into the kitchen with the posts, and Uncle Vernon sharply jerks the letter out of Harry's hand, which gave me the impression that this kind of bubble of Harry's excitement is just abruptly popped. But we find out soon that the letter must be important because Uncle Vernon's face goes from red to green to the pale grey of old porridge. And then shortly after that, Harry is actually moved from the cupboard under the stairs into Dudley's second bedroom. So Harry gets promoted in a sense. And what was interesting about that is it seems like the Dursleys are not morally troubled by the way they abuse Harry or the poor conditions they have him living in, for example, having put him in the cupboard under the stairs. So it seems like the only reason they move Harry into an actual bedroom is because they think someone might be aware of the bad way in which they're treating Harry. So their concern is more how they'll be perceived socially rather than morally and probably whether whether or not they'll have to face any consequences for that. And this idea actually reminded me of, of a conversation I had with a friend of mine at university. I, w- I was walking to the library at university one day and I saw one of my friends there and went over to say hello and very soon after starting the conversation he said, oh actually my mum was racially abused yesterday. I think obviously he was very upset about it which is why he was bringing it up as you know one of the first things we talked about and he went on to describe how his mum had gone to some shop, parked her car outside the shop and there was a dispute with someone about parking and this person then used a racial slur against his mum. And I remember my friend saying something along the lines of, yeah, you know, people say they're not racist or that racism isn't an issue, but given this right situation, it always comes out. And what I took from that is because issues like racism are not socially acceptable in the mainstream, it doesn't mean that there aren't underlying issues which need to be resolved, even though they may not be as visible as they used to be. I was just reminded of that by the Dursleys because it seems like how the Dursleys are abusers towards Harry when, whenever possible, essentially, unless they think there will be a social and probably a legal consequence for them. And it also reminds me of this expression. I think, uh, I think I heard it in a recorded speech by John Wooden, the American basketball coach, and he said, character is who you are when nobody is watching.
So fortunately for Harry, a second letter arrives, just like the first one, but with a different address to Harry Potter in the smallest bedroom for Privet Drive. Obviously, Harry and the reader don't know that he's a wizard or that the letters are coming from Hogwarts, so it seems like someone's watching Harry and knows about the inner workings of the Dursley household. So in muggle terms, this is a bit stalkery, or it could be a magical quill, as I mentioned before. So that actually reminded me of this dinner I went to once after a work-related conference, and I remember sitting next to this professor and thinking, oh great, you know, it would be really cool to talk to this guy. And we were talking to the people around us, and uh, there was this lady sitting opposite me who was engaged, and I asked how she met her fiancé, and she said, oh, I just stalked him until he went out with me. And I sort of said, oh, ha-ha, but seriously, though. And she went, no, no, seriously, I just stalked him until he went out with me. (laughs) And I was like, "Um, what do you mean? And she elaborated and said, well, I can't remember exactly actually where where she said they met originally, but... She said after they met, she found out that he worked at a gym, so she went and signed up to that gym so that she could talk to him at work. And then she said, but, you know, sometimes I'd go to the gym and he wouldn't be there, and so I just thought, this is a waste of time because I'm not there to exercise. So the next time she was there and he was there, when he left, she followed him out so he could see which car was his. And then she said she would arrive at the gym and just drive around the car park, and if she couldn't see his car, she would just drive off. This progressed so eventually... She followed him home one day just because she wanted to see where he lived, which I thought was rather extreme. But then apparently they started talking in the gym and eventually they went out and she said that when they were going to go back to his place for the first time, they got into a taxi and she actually gave the taxi driver directions to his house. And he was like, how do you know where I live? And apparently she just sort of, you know, she just said, oh, I just guessed. It must there was probably a left over there or something. But now he knows, and she said apparently he thinks it was very cute that she stalked him in the beginning of their relationship. So uh, I suppose that's convenient if you're going to marry someone. But anyway, the second letter arrives addressed to Harry, and there's this mad scramble where Uncle Vernon runs to the door to get the letter from Dudley. Harry jumps onto Uncle Vernon, Dudley's involved, and he's smacking everyone with the smelting stick. And I thought it sounded like a really funny scene, so I'm surprised they didn't put it in the film, or, I don't know, maybe the actors were opposed to being smacked with sticks or what, I don't know, but I thought it was a potentially good scene. So then Harry decides that he can't wait for any more letters to arrive at the door and that he's going to just head them off at the source and meet the postman early in the morning. But Harry tries to do this, and as he's sneaking out of the house at the crack of dawn, he accidentally steps on Uncle Vernon's face because Vernon has slept by the door to stop Harry getting his letter. And realising what Harry was trying to do, Uncle Vernon yells at him for half an hour and then tells him to go and make some tea. And I couldn't help but think that telling someone to make tea is just such a British social nuance. And in this case, um, in this case, telling someone to go and make some tea is being used to assert dominance, which can happen sometimes. Or Vernon could have told him to go and put the kettle on, which is also something you can say to someone to annoy them. If you have a British friend and you want to annoy them, you should ask them to go and put the kettle on. It's like a way of just rubbing salt in their wounds. At least, so that's what I thought Uncle Vernon was doing in this situation, using the social nuances of tea to assert his dominance in his house. So as the chapter goes on, more and more letters arrive for Harry, and the more letters arrive, the more insane Uncle Vernon becomes, to the point where he actually takes a day off work to make his house Hogwarts letterproof. And there's a scene where Vernon's nailing a letterbox shut, and he's talking to Petunia with a mouthful of nails, which must just visibly make him look like he's going mad. And Petunia then gives him some fruitcake, which he uses to try and bang a nail into a letterbox. So obviously, you know, his, his mind is very preoccupied. Also, 
fruitcake is a, is British slang as a way of describing someone as a bit crazy. So I guess Joe Rowling is just emphasising that Vernon's going a bit loopy because of the stress of all these Hogwarts letters. Something I thought was interesting about this scene is that Vernon explains to Petunia that this is going to keep the Hogwarts letters out, and Petunia says, I'm not sure that's going to work, and Vernon says, Oh, these people's minds work in strange ways, Petunia, they're not like you and me. And I thought, this is a bit odd, because Petunia's sister was a witch, and they obviously grew up together, so Petunia would know, much better than Vernon, how witches and wizards think. So why would Vernon think he can explain this situation to Petunia? And then I realised that nowadays there's a word for that, which is Vernon was mansplaining. And I'd like to think I'm not a particularly mansplaining man. And uh, I looked up some tweets from women who had tweeted about experience they've had where a man has mansplained something to them, thinking I'd find some funny examples. But actually, most of the situations that people were describing were just really annoying. I mean, there are women tweeting that a man has tried to explain their menstrual cycle to them or explain how a tampon works or talk to them about what pregnancy feels like. I mean, it just seems so bizarre that someone with no physiological experience of those things would try to explain them to someone who does have experience of those things. I mean, just why would you even go there? Although, one tweet I found which I thought was funny is that uh, this uh, woman tweeted saying, mansplaining should be called correctile dysfunction. So, anyway, as an aside, so many letters are sent to number four Privet Drive that you have to wonder whether there's just an easy way for Harry to get his letter. Like, I'm not complaining, because I enjoy the scene, but they even magically get the letters into eggs, so I wonder why they can't just magically, you know, apparate one under Harry's pillow or something. But anyway, at some stage, enough is enough, Uncle Vernon loses it and he says, Right, everyone be ready in five minutes, we're leaving. <laughs> so, in the book it says... He looked so dangerous with half his moustache missing that no one dared argue. And um, apart from, obviously, the image of that, it just reminded me of going to visit one of my friends at university. And he had joined the rugby team at his university, and they had their rugby team initiations the week before. And apparently, what had happened is, as part of his, initi as part of his initiation, he had to shave off one of his eyebrows. So then after the initiation, in order to, you know, rebalance his face, he shaved off his other eyebrow. And so when I saw him, he had no eyebrows. And, uh, you know, I think you just, you don't appreciate the role that eyebrows have in facial expressions until you see someone with no eyebrows. When talking to him, you couldn't tell, like, if he was angry, if he was surprised or what. It was, um, it was quite funny. But obviously they grew back, so it's all fine, and he can fully express his emotions now. Anyway, so Vernon takes everyone to Cokeworth, where they stay at the Railview Hotel. And I was wondering if Cokeworth is a real place or not. And uh, in the Joe Rowling archives online, she writes that Cokeworth is a fictional place. And what's interesting is that although it's not specified in the books, it's actually the place where Petunia, Lily, and Severus Snape all grew up. So I'm not sure why Uncle Vernon goes there, since it's a place he knows has been inhabited by witches and wizards. But anyway, that's where he goes. Eventually, Uncle Vernon settles on a shack perched on a rocky island out at sea, which is where they, which is where they stay the night. And they row there in an old boat lent to them by a toothless old man. So things just seem to be... <laughs> it seems to be a desperate situation for the Dursleys at the moment. And I remember wondering back when I first read The Philosopher's Stone why they would think they could get away from their magical pursuers in this shack, you know, on a little island when obviously they've been able, they've been tracked everywhere else they've gone. 
And um, I read in Joe Rowling's archives that apparently Vernon and Petunia have this idea that witches and wizards can't cross water. So that's why they go to the shack out at sea, because they think, okay, we'll be safe here. Then Vernon takes some supplies to the shack, which are crisp packets and some bananas, which is pathetic. I mean, the idea of Vernon trying to start a fire using crisp packets is ridiculous. Speaking of survival skills, my girlfriend was actually taught how to use an axe when she was in the Girl Scouts in Sweden, and she has this little badge to prove (laughs) that she can use an axe. But anyway... Uh, So the Dursleys are trying so hard to block magic from entering their lives, they've ended up in this crazy situation. But despite all of this, Uncle Vernon's happy, because he thinks that no one is going to be able to get to them on the island. Shortly before the night's out, Harry's going to bed, or rather, he's trying to sleep on the cold floor with a thin blanket, and he realises that it's the day before his birthday. And we're told that the previous year, the Dursleys had given him a coat hanger and Vernon's old socks for a birthday gift. Which just made me wonder why you would even bother with those gifts. I mean, just give him nothing. Why would you give them? Why would you give such rubbish gifts? You know, just for the record, personally, I put effort into getting gifts for people. But it hasn't always worked out because, uh, you know, I think I've given people some pretty good gifts. But my brother would tell you that I've given some terrible presents. So he recently started a dating profile on an app. And one of the features is that you answer some questions and people can look at your profile and read the answers or like your answers or whatever. And one of the questions was, what's the worst gift you've ever given or received? And he actually used one of the gifts I gave to my dad, which is a piece of wood carved into a mushroom shape, which also functions as a nutcracker. And it might sound a bit silly, but if you look at it, you'll see it's a nice piece of woodwork. I thought it was a smooth design and my dad eats nuts, which need cracking sometimes. So I thought, it was a good gift. But saying that, it's never been used and it just sits on top of a bookshelf. So I guess you could say it's one of those gifts where it's the thought that counts. So Harry's trying to sleep on the floor of the shack under this thin blanket, but he can't get to sleep because it's so cold. And he sees Dudley's watch and starts counting down to his birthday. And I actually thought the fact that Harry is counting down to his birthday is quite a maybe indicative of a positive mindset because given everything that's happened, the fact that he's still looking forward to his birthday is some positive thinking. And the chapter ends the moment Harry turns 11 with a huge boom on the door of the shack because someone's knocking to come in. So until next time guys, have a dobbylicious week and thanks for listening. (laughs) 